Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the State of Florida Sports Podcast, presented by the USA Today Network. Here's your host, Tim Walters. Grab your coffee and energy drinks and get ready for a big weekend in racing. The 2024 Rolex 24 has arrived in Daytona Beach. The round-the-clock twice endurance race signifies the start of several weeks of exciting practice and racing, all leading up to the February 18th running of the Daytona 500. On this week's podcast, two of my favorite guests, Ryan Pritt and Ken Willis, both of the Daytona Beach News Journal, join me to tell me about the endurance race that kicks racing season into um, high gear. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. The next 10 months will be busy with racing madness, and it all begins with one of the biggest international races being held at the birthplace of NASCAR. Let's bring in Ryan and Ken to start breaking things down. Hey, Ken, welcome back to the show. Thank you. All right, Ryan, you too. Great talking to you again. I was going to say, am I getting a welcome too, or is I'm, I'm just kind of chopped liver right out of the start here? I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I have to kind of do a show host 101 where I don't welcome you both and you talk over each other at the same time. So uh, I chose Ken since he's the elder of the group. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll take that then. That's a good way to put it. How many, what are we up to, about 150 or 200 of these before you figured that out, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I got to pay esteem where it's due, Ken. And, you know, I, I understand you've been suffering through some terrible cold weather while uh, all this qualifying's going on. Listen, it's uh, I was layered up. I got through it. I'm, you know, I'm a gamer. Or I'm gamey, were, one or the other. There were, there were scarves, toboggans, there was gloves involved. There was, I don't know, it was everything for, short of a, a parka, a dog sled, and a bonfire out there just to get Ken through the weekend, but. You should see we look my better porch. this week. <laughs> well, now we know why so many people are coming to Florida because Florida cold is nothing like what's going on in the rest of the country, which I watch on TV with great interest but want no part of. <laughs> yeah, I get the daily reports from back at home uh, in West Virginia. They were uh, single digits a couple of days this past week, so they can keep that up there. We're good here. Ken, do you have the outfit for single digits? <laughs> I am, yeah, he wore uh, it. He wore it all week. That would go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've still got all ten of mine, and then some. <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, we've got the Rolex 24. And because Florida weather, what, what do they say about Florida weather? Uh, you know, if you don't like the weather, just wait 20 minutes and that'll change. 
Uh, couldn't be more true because it was really cold this past weekend. The Rolex is going to get here, and it's going to be pretty nice from the early weather reports I'm seeing. Are you guys seeing the same thing? Yes. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to be touching close to 80, which will have the big guy in a much better mood this weekend. So we're all looking forward to it. Oh, no, you don't want to be around me when it's hot. <laughs> so we don't want to be around you when you're cold, but we don't want to be around you when you're hot. Let's see. <laughs> they call me Goldilocks. <laughs> that's not all they call you but we'll move on from that too yeah wait who calls you goldilocks <laughs> <laughs> a big bear <laughs> all righty moving on let's talk about a race the rolex 24 last year you had the number 60 meyer shank racing acura team they won for the second consecutive year and three of the four drivers were part of the the same team both years uh, that was Tom Blonquist, Helio Castroneves, and Simone Pagenaud. I'm probably killing their names. The fourth member in 2023 was Colin Braun, while in 2022 it was Oliver Jarvis. And Castroneves has been on the winning team three years in a row. Yet after the race, the team was later penalized for tire pressure data manipulation, resulting in penalties, fines, probations. So, Ryan, w- what exactly happened there? Before we talk about this year's race, what happened to end that last one? Yeah, that's kind of kind of the nail on the head there there was a tire pressure manipulation there it was self-reported six weeks later and uh, i think that time frame is kind of what allowed uh you know the result to stand everyone got to keep their watches and their trophies and all that but it there were some definite long-lasting ramifications there you know meyer shank is not in the field this week it, it forced the closing of their emsa stuff and you mentioned Helio Castroneves, who had a chance to do something, I believe, which had never been done, which has went four in a row. And, uh, yeah, that all kind of put him on the sidelines as well. So he's not in the field this week. Uh, Tom Bloomquist is, but he is running elsewhere. <clears throat> so he has a chance to pick up his third in a row and match what Helio did last week, last year. But, um, yeah, it, it really did a number on that race team who, like I said, won't be in the field this year. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully try to get through this one without any kind of such controversies. Well, you know, personally, I'm someone who, after this race, I, I really don't think a lot about the other racers because obviously the NASCAR season gets going and we've got our own racing here. What happened? Did somebody get the guilty conscience six weeks later? Was somebody looking at data? Uh, you know, how exactly is it six weeks after this happened that somebody goes, hey, uh, we manipulated some tire data? <laughs> that's a good question right there. That's the one yeah, thing we haven't heard question. is how did they find out and when? How? why did it take so long to find out? I think, uh, you know, when you're talking about air pressure and deflating and inflating, I mean, I think Tom Brady has to be questioned eventually. <laughs> Hey, you know, I learned this just doing a science fair project with my kid recently. Is that uh, the tire deflate, the the deflation of air in a, a ball like that? Because Brady played in such cold weather, and the footballs get so much harder when they're deflated to get that little advantage of actually being able to grip a really cold, solid football. That's why they let more air out. So, uh, you know, I always wondered why he wanted to throw a flatter football. But when you hear it in those terms, it makes a lot of sense. So. uh but I don't know how that would translate to racing in Daytona where it's really warm. Well, well yesterday, yesterday would have been the day for uh, cold weather and tire deflation, right, Ken? I don't, I don't know. We saw some record times yesterday, so maybe that had I, something to do with it. I didn't realize we were doing a podcast with Bill Nye today. That was quite a, quite a science experiment. 
<laughs> well, my she, my daughter, she's a soccer player, and she's in fourth grade, which uh crazy that they're making fourth graders do science fair projects, but she was kicking a more or less deflated soccer ball to see what the results would be, kicking it in three different states ten times each. So uh smart little kid, she'll probably be uh out-achieving me by the time she's, what, about 10 or 11. So uh, <laughs> I'm taking the under. Yeah. <laughs> well, I could already tell you she's already bested me all athletically. So anyhow, let's continue on about racing. Um, you know, Ken, who do you like in this one since the defending champions are either not racing or dispersed to other teams? So, uh, you know, there was a lot going on this past week. What have you seen? Who do you like? Well, I mean, the Cadillacs are the two fastest, but that doesn't always mean everything. Um, the winner will be come amongst those 10 prototypes and i think the about six or eight of those have a better chance than the other two or four so i would take uh it's either going to be one of these two cadillacs that are on the front row or one of the porsches from uh from roger penske's little two two car operation how do you feel on that ryan yeah, the two Cadillacs, obviously, what they were able to do in qualifying yesterday was pretty eye-opening. Although, you know, a, a, a nice stat for you, all nine GTP cars that turned laps yesterday would have set a new track record. So an extremely fast qualifying session there. But, you know, I'll kind of go off the grid from what Ken said. I, I kind of like the way the the BMW Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan cars have looked, too. They've been close to the top of the board in several sections as well. but. You know, I mean, qualifying is one thing that that's that's a hot lap, right? We've got 24 hours of laps and so much of it comes to just avoiding errors, avoiding mistakes, avoiding equipment failures, all that kind of stuff. So uh, pretty tough to 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 predict what might happen. But we've seen a lot of speed over there from a few teams. You know, I love hearing the names of some of these cars because with NASCAR, you're dealing with Chevy, you're dealing with Ford, you're dealing with Toyota. And now you're hearing Cadillac. Porsche, uh, what Ferrari, Lamborghini, some of these things. Uh, are there any, uh, or BMW? So, are there any Ferraris or Lamborghinis that might actually uh, be up toward the front? Because that's, you know, just on a, a regular basis, you think of those as some of the fastest cars. How about on a racetrack? Well, they're going to be, you know, there's a different class. You know, there's four different classes of cars, frankly, three different classes of cars, four different mm-hmm. classes of uh, uh, one of the Three classes is GTD, which stands for Grand Touring Daytona. These are basically the closest thing to stock cars that you'll get at Daytona, which is an odd thing to say, but true. That's where you got the Corvettes, uh, the Porsche 911s, the Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Aston Martin. Uh, Lord, I'm forgetting the others, but there's, there's, a, there's basically a, yeah, there's a Walsall, Mustang. Yeah, right. And, and these awesome. are cars that you know basically look like the muscle cars and sports cars you see on a showroom floor. And except mine, you know, they've got all the all the decals and some, a lot of extra safety equipment on them and in them. Um, those, I mean, to me, that's the Ferrari, Lamborghini. They're going to be racing amongst themselves. Uh, the prototypes are uh, like the the Porsche and Cadillac prototypes, the BMW prototypes, for instance, don't look like BMWs, Porsches, and Cadillacs. They are basically uh, that and name only. That's a uh, Cadillac supplies the engineering and Porsche supplies the engineering, but the cars are purpose-built prototypes. I mean, you know, that's what they are. Uh, there's a different division where they're running their street, quote, street cars, and that's the GTD. 
and that uh, that division is broken into two classes. You got regular run of the mill GTD, and then you've got GTD Pro. And the difference is the GTD Pro, the driver lineup, the four drivers, which most teams are, have have four drivers, has to be all upper level, top tier professional race car drivers. Where a regular GTD, you can have a couple of those guys, but you got to have you got to have at least a couple guys who are not what they what you would call. Uh, upper rung professional driver you know some of them are might even fall into the category what they've always referred to as a the gentleman driver or the gentleman racer um but some of those all those guys that are in this race they're pretty damn good race car drivers they're just <laughs> not contractually uh contracted drivers who race for factory full-time professionally in all the upper rungs so that is very confusing and i'm uh i right now i just talked myself into Really wondering why I went through all that. Yeah, I'm just curious where you and your 79 Pinto fit into all of this. <laughs> I, you know, I did. My mom did. My mom did have a Pinto at one point. I survived that. So that's yeah. All right. Whose mom didn't have a Pinto in the 70s? I guess. I tell you what, all that can made made uh, cold weather air deflation sound pretty simple. So we appreciate that. That was good. <laughs> That's what I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. <laughs> well, you know, Ryan, uh, and that's a great explanation, actually. Ken broke that down really well. You guys are going to have all sorts of coverage this week. Maybe uh, maybe you'll be breaking that down, maybe not. But what should people be reading for, you know, on the website at news-journalonline.com? In fact, Tim, not only will we be breaking that down, we already have. And that story is on the web as, as well as so many more. We've... Uh, Release the week's schedule, obviously. We have an unofficial starting grid, which may or may not change as the week goes, and we will make updates accordingly. And, yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, especially Ken, a, a ton of driver features, and we'll have more coming up. He released one on six-time IndyCar champ Scott Dixon this morning. Um, he caught up with Cody Ware yesterday, a suspended NASCAR driver that's been reinstated. I believe that is his first uh, – media yes. yeah since yeah, that, since that all happened on the track yeah yeah and ken did a really nice job of running him down in the garage and um well i say running he he, he walked slowly but managed to get there in time which was nice um but yeah we've got jared andretti connor zillich coming up um pretty much any a lot of drivers a lot of schedules anything you want to know about this race we're going to have a weather report for it we're going to have five things to watch we talk about the michelin endurance challenge on friday which is a four hour race that includes bubba wallace who ken also caught up with and wrote about this week um and of course we mentioned the two uh, mazda mx5 challenge races one one on thursday night one on friday morning or early afternoon I I can't yeah. Remember. yeah i think it's morning yeah, yeah and that, those <laughs> i tell everyone you know, last year I, I covered every race at that racetrack, and uh, those two Miata races may have been the two best races I saw a year. So if anyone's uh, around and can see those or, or dial those up on TV, which we will also have that as well, how to watch, um, definitely do. Those races are awesome. So in other words, you guys are the top place to be, which is why, again, I always say it, you are the best in the business at what you do. All of those interviews, all the people you talk to, you're always out at the track. So we do appreciate that. Again, that's news-journalonline.com. Now, Ken, this race is not your run-of-the-mill two-and-a-half-mile oval, obviously. Uh, how is the track set up? How long is it? And how many laps, uh, roughly, will these guys be doing? Oh, Lordy, it's going to be around 
700 laps, give or take, 650. Uh, it's it's a 3.56 mile. So let's say three and a half mile. Uh, what, 12 or 14 turns? I always lose track as to what, what's considered a turn or not. There's one in the infield that's really a kink. I think they may classify that as a turn. And who doesn't classify a good kink as a turn every now and then? <laughs> but uh, – and and they come they do use most of the trioval that we're familiar with. The, if you start a lap at the start finish line, and um, I guess the only part they don't use is roughly from right just past the start finish line to just this side of turn one. Because when when they go past the start finish line, they very quickly soon thereafter make a hard dive down to the left into the infield portion of the road course. And they, that includes a couple of hairpin turns and a kink, for those of you who are into that. And uh, then you dump <laughs> back out onto the big trioval, just this side of turn one. And then you go through that west banking, turns one and two, down the backstretch with a little bus stop, what the Frenchman call a chicane. To the, you make that little whoop-de-doo to the left, and then quickly back onto the course before turn three. And uh, so anyway, you're you're using both the east and west bankings, turns one and two, turns three and four, the trioval down the front stretch, and then uh, you're so you're using most of the big track, but uh, you're also including you know a, a roughly a mile of uh, twisting and turning road course inside the infield. And you know that just just to capitalize on that real quick, that chicane is going to be the place to watch. I think. I, I mean, you've got that is certainly the fastest corner maybe other than turn one ken and it's it i think it's lone purpose is just to make sure cars aren't hitting 220 230 240 around turn four heading back into turn one so i think during that race as many times as those guys are going in and out of that that quick little left right number on the backstretch there that that's that's usually the a good spot for trouble at some point during that race yeah it's a they they i can't remember i think it was actually before my time or right around early early in my time I think they didn't use that chicane for a while, right. and the speeds got so out of control that they said we got to put the chicane back in. Yeah, and uh, and that slows, you know. Otherwise, these cars would just be doing an ungodly amount of speed if they had that whole backstretch to unwind and head toward turn three. So this, uh, yeah, and you're right, it does get a little, it it does get a little dicey. Guys, hit those brakes. That's the big thing about road course racing in general, even on the NASCAR level, is you got to be, you got to learn how to work, use your brake and your throttle unlike anything you do in normal <clears throat> oval track racing the guys who are better to, are better able to get on the brake at the right time with the right pressure and then get off of those brakes as after they know they're through that turn safely and get back on the gas if you can do that a split second faster and better than the other guy i mean that adds up a lot over over you know the course of several laps so the braking zones, they call it. You know, anytime you're at a high rate of speed, then you have to slow down to maneuver a turn. Those are the braking zones, and that's where the that's where the race is won and lost with the stopwatch, and often won and lost with the uh, mechanical guts of the car because you wear out those brakes, and uh, you're you know you're going to be behind the wall putting in a new set, which you can do in this race because it's something you, know, you got 24 hours, so it's nothing to change a set of brakes. <laughs> you know, it's amazing with that many laps that these guys you know, stay so even, I guess you'd say, you know, so close in distance. You know, the the longest I can ever recall being on a road trip, we drove straight home from Chicago to Florida one time. There were four of us in a van, 17 hours, and we took shifts of two and two 
uh, to get home. And I remember what a slog that was. I mean, driving for 24 hours, and you guys have covered it. I mean, can, can I guess start with Ryan. Can you kind of describe what it's like covering this thing and what these guys must be going through? Because they're obviously, they're not driving straight down I-75. You know, they're at everything Ken just described, and you're braking and, you know, speeding up. and go, It's just crazy doing the same loop. So just kind of talk about that aspect of it. Yeah, for sure. You know, my personal experience, I did a 20 hour one in a Jeep one time, Tim, from Charleston, West Virginia to a little fishing community in Ontario called Wawa, where I spent a week catching walleye, which was nice, and Northern Pike. But aside from that, yeah, these these guys, like you said, that's not hardly uh, cruising down the interstate. This is, like Ken said, a bunch of corners and trying to hit a chicane, right? And I mean, it has to be, and, and, you know, you hear drivers talk about it, one of the more grueling experiences there is in, in racing anywhere. Of course, they do it in Le Mans, too. But, um, and that's where this teamwork comes in. And, I, you know, one interesting aspect of, of this GTP class, which are the fastest cars, again, you know, Durrani set the, the, the new track record and has the pole and a Cadillac. That's the only team with just three drivers instead of four, which – that that would seem to be even more of a little bit of a disadvantage when you're talking about trying to split shifts between between drivers. When do you get a couple, two, three, four hours of sleep if you can? And um, you know, just, just having to be on your on your P's and Q's every corner, every lap as it just continues to to tick down. It's unlike anything else in motorsports endurance endurance racing really is. And that's part of what makes this event interesting and great. It's you know, the longevity and having to be on top of your game every single corner, every single lap for 24 hours, it really makes it a different event. You know, for people that don't know this, Ryan, uh, do they have to go one driver, two driver, three driver, four driver, or can they bring the same person back? You know, do you see what I'm, how I'm asking that? I do. And honestly, I, that might be a better Ken question. Um, is there some kind of set rule to that, Ken? They, every driver has to do a certain amount of time, and I think there's also a max. Uh, there's also a maximum amount. That's inside the minutia of the IMSA rulebook. IMSA is the uh, sanctioning body. Uh, but generally, they'll have a rotation. If you you know if you got a four driver lineup, they're basically going to go. You know, you got a lineup of batting order of one through four, and uh, you know you're going to do one or two. Sh- and they'll do either one shift or two, and a shift's a little less than an hour because they got to put fuel on fuel into cars and also change the tires. I guess on most of these stops, so uh, they'll do you know maybe two shifts each, and then maybe do single shifts for you know uh, for a while for uh, four hours. Um, it, it all differs, and then if you're in the hunt and when it gets late in the race. Uh, you know, they might have it set up where we're going to finish with, you know, double shifts and, you know, they might change that up and tell a guy, you know, you're coming out for the last shift, the last hour or so. And we're going to put this guy in because, you know, he's our ace, he's our number one guy. So they do, they'll have a plan, but it's nothing for them to tear that lineup up, tear it apart once they, once they get deep into the race. Yeah, I was just thinking like maybe somebody is driving better than somebody else on a particular day. So they're like, we're going to get him his rest, but get him back in the car, you know, kind of like a hot hitter or something like that. But there is a maximum amount of time a guy they can they can use a guy they do, you know, with and with modern technology. I mean, they've got all that stuff wired, you know, and, and you don't get you can't get away with anything. So <laughs> unless you're 
you you might be able to get away with it for six weeks if you're manipulating tire data but <laughs> but uh but they know who's in those cars they know who's in the cars at all time even if it doesn't always translate to the uh tv broadcasts as ryan noticed yesterday that the official timing and scoring had you know driver a in the car and then the tv broadcast lineup had driver b in the car and and it was fun watching him pull uh, pull his thinning hair out a little bit more with each uh, passing lap. Uh, oh, cheap shot across the bow. Holy cow. Uh, you know, I, I was just going to mention something about your great teamwork and how there's only two of you where they have four drivers and how you cover it all day and night long. And then you do that, Ken. Oh, it's like having a left for point out, point out my zits, Tim. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, don't sell yourself short. But well, how do you guys cover it, though? That being the point, I mean, uh, do, who are you each at the track for 12 hours each, or do you do three hours on, three hours off? Are there just times that uh, don't have a person actually there? So what, what do you guys do to cover a race like this? Well, you well, know, Ken's, bed, Ken's bedtime is usually around like 730 or 8 in the evening, and then he'll get up at 4 or 5 in the morning. So, And, and I'm kind of the opposite. So. No, usually he's on the early shift. I'm on the late shift. Um, but the the 24, I tell you what helps. And and you know there was a lot of uh, scuttlebutt about Peacock and the streaming network for the NFL playoffs a couple weeks ago. And that's already a service that uh, I'm very familiar with because it runs all 24 hours of the Rolex 24. So um, last year I think I hung out at the racetrack from. The start up till about 9:30, and then came home, did a couple hours from here, and caught me a couple hours of a nap, and then got back up and headed over. But uh, yeah, it's 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 like anything else. We're working in shifts just like the drivers are, only we don't have to worry about going 200 miles an hour down the back stretch. I guess. Thank God. <laughs> well, maybe you just need some inflatable mattresses. You could just stay there in the media room and uh, take a nap. Maybe they can have some cornflakes for you in the morning. I, I, I would not. Uh, I've seen that crowd in the media center. I'm not falling asleep around any of them. <laughs> I hear you. Yep. So, uh, you know, Ken, the the title sponsor of this is obviously Rolex, which it has been since 1992. Have you ever owned a Rolex? And uh, do people still wear watches? I mean, I always just check my phone. Oh, I've had I've had three or four of them probably at different times over the year. I just threw one away the other day. And it was. Um, oh, wait a minute. You said Rolex. I thought. I'm, I thought you said Rolodex, Tim. That's a, that's a <laughs> different ball game. Yeah, and and speaking of not the young folks not wearing watches, how many young folks, if if any at all, are listening to this? How many of them are wondering what a Rolodex is? <laughs> I am a watch wearer, and I I'm do. Just, I feel I'm naked just, without it. I'm just wondering how long you've been sitting on that Rolodex joke. Have you been waiting all this entire podcast just to drop that one on us, or when did you write that? Are you are you really wanting to you know get inside the you know inside baseball here and just go up? It's called preparation, Ryan. I will uh, mm. I will draw you up a game plan one day. I hope you do. Yeah, that sounds good. But can people under a certain age tell time on a watch that has like the twelve little slashes, but not even numbers on it? I mean, I I just wonder how do they teach that anymore? That's quite, that's a question for Ryan. I'm thinking. I mean, he's he's under a certain age, so he could probably tell you. <laughs> Well, I personally, I was taught that, but it is, it is interesting having a, and Tim, you mentioned your daughter earlier, having a a 12 year old in the sixth grade and trying to show her an analog clock is like trying to speak to her in Mandarin. They they have no clue. So 
No, I don't. I'm not sure that it is. And if it is, she must have been uh, chewing gum and passing notes during that point, that portion of class, I guess. I, Tim, I, Tim, I know where Ryan's from. All he needs is a stick and some sunshine and he can tell you what time it is. Well, yeah, I figured I figured, Ken, you grew up with the sundial and abacus. <laughs> abacus Finch. Was he the guy from uh, To Kill a Mockingbird? Close enough. <laughs> Ken likes to make fun until nuclear winter arrives and he he dies in 50 degree weather and i'm still surviving so we'll see <laughs> all right well before i let you guys go you know this is the big runoff it kicks off the three-week cycle before we get to the great american race the daytona 500 which will be february 18th this year so you know ryan what, what do we have to expect in the weeks leading up to it some of the things going on in daytona what you'll be reporting about things like that yeah, so obviously we get through the end of next or this weekend, and like you said, we immediately turn the page and we're we're counting down to the Daytona 500. So there are a couple things in the works already. Um, Ken and I have gotten our heads together and put together a top 30 list, power rankings of current NASCAR Cup Series drivers in terms of driving ability, and we will release those in six parts of five uh, the week leading up to the beginning of speed week so we have that um i have had the opportunity to speak to kevin harvick for about a half hour a few days ago obviously he's getting ready to start his full-time career as a broadcaster for fox he'll make his debut in terms of his full-time capacity there at the clash obviously he's done some some broadcasting before but it was in one off so um Cool to get to talk to him uh, as he prepares to kind of turn the chapter in his career. And I'll have a story on that. I believe that'll come out the day of the clash. And then as Ken can attest, um, you know, I'll kind of learn this last year. But in the coming days and weeks, we're going to have a lot of opportunities to speak to some guys, I'm sure. So that uh, we will definitely have it fully covered for you, no doubt. And, um, yeah, just just continue to check in with us as we kind of get uh, – some more stories put out the the following couple weeks. All right. Well, make sure to write in your Rolodex, news-journalonline.com. And Ken, you know, I, before I let you go, I wanted to talk to you for a moment. You know, we, we've joked around. You've been coming on this podcast now, believe it or not, uh, more than three years. And, you know, we've done trivia before. We've talked about a guy who is my childhood racing favorite, Cale Yarborough. And he passed away recently, and you wrote a really nice column about him. So I just kind of wanted to give you a forum just to, uh, you know, talk about Cale Yarborough, his impact to racing, why if people don't know who he is, why they should look him up, and uh, about your story. Yeah, I, the more I thought about it, I was, and a lot of people surprised me with the fact that they knew who Cale Yarbrough was, or like you, for instance, saying he was a childhood favorite. And I've had other people who I don't think they would have known, you know, they could pick, they could name two NASCAR drivers today. I mean, they're just not race fans, but they like Cale Yarbrough. And the more I thought about it, I said, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a really cool name. You know, it's, it's a great name, Cale Yarbrough. And and people knew that name. It was it sounded like a guy who did something special. And uh, and it's really and it's neat. And I think that might be part of why a lot of people latched on to him, even though they didn't know, you know, an oval track from a road course. But he was 84, I believe. He came up racing in the 60s and got and really took off in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and he was just one of the last of those that breed i mean he came off the farm i mean they had a tobacco farm and a cotton farm there in south carolina 
And uh, he was a high school football stud there in Timmonsville High in South Carolina. To the point that Frank Howard, the legend, legendary coach at Clemson, recruited them to come play at Clemson. But then he was still wanting to drive race cars on some weekends, and he was going to have to miss a practice or two. And Frank Howard said, well, you can't do that. And he said, well, I'm going to go racing. And um, and that's what he did, thank God. Because, I mean, he was he was just a tough as nails, about five foot eight or nine, and but just had Popeye forearms and barely had a neck. And uh, he was just a tough scrapper but the nicest guy in the world. Everybody loved him. No, he did. I don't believe he had an enemy except for a few minutes there at the end of the 1979 Daytona 500. But, uh, but he was, you know, he was a guy from a different era, a different time. And they literally don't do it like that anymore. They don't make them like that. And I know everybody says it, but in this case, it's, uh, it's actually the truth. And, you know, he was just one of those guys from that era. And again, had a really cool name. Yeah. He got tryouts with NFL teams, including in Washington, uh, I believe he was, uh, you know, after uh, he's in the top 10 for most titles. He's tied with several people with three NASCAR Cup championships. And of course, uh, how I was introduced to him as a child, aside from racing, because my family love racing. I remember he was on an episode of the Dukes of Hazard. So look That's that right. up. But, you know, a lot of great things about Cale Yarborough. He will be missed, but definitely left a legacy there. Go- Golden Gloves boxer, by the way, too. He, he boxed, yeah. I don't know, probably... <clears throat> Phantom weight, lightweight, or something, but he did that. He played. He played uh, after he started racing and left Clemson. He continued to play semi-pro football there in South Carolina for about four or five years. So you didn't want to. You didn't want to. You didn't want to cross him as as nice as he was. You wanted to keep him on your good side. I would think. Yeah, don't tussle with Cale Yarborough. Uh, Ryan, before we go, is there anything else you want to add about the Rolex 24, the Daytona 500, or uh, you want to shoot some uh, fire back at Ken for his comment about your hair earlier? Well, I, you know, there'll be plenty. If you could mic up the media room over the next few weeks, we're going we're going to settle the score in there. So we'll keep it between ourselves. Um, but yeah, no, just. You know, like like I said, and like like you said, we're gonna have every single imaginable angle of this thing covered. I hope, and if we don't, hey, email us, find us on Twitter, let us know what we miss, and and we'll get it on there for you. But uh, yeah, no, um, just just looking forward to it, and and thanking the big guy over there. You know, he takes cheap shots, but you know, we couldn't do this operation without him, and he does a great job, and obviously has some great perspective on stuff too. So it makes us makes all of our coverage that much better for sure. Hey, can I, All Tim? Right. Can I get another? Can I get another plug in here? And I promise that's not another hair joke. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I recently during the off season did a thing. Uh, just I don't know how it came to me or us or Ryan or I forget whose idea it was, but uh, the best. NASCAR driver of all time from each state, from all 50 yep. states. And and it was a lot. I mean, it, once I started doing it, I told Ryan, I said, once I get into this, I'm not going to stop. So just let me do it because <laughs> that's how, it, you know, because I really enjoyed it. And, uh, and you know, as, as hard as it was to find somebody from South Dakota and Idaho. Um, so we di- I did that and we ran it a, as a 10 part series, five driver, five states, then another five states. But sometime during the, the NASCAR Speed Week here, I'm going to put them all together and run all 50 capsules together in one file. So keep an eye out for that. I think it's something that uh, it's kind of a fun thing to to look at and ponder. And you also, I will tease the fact that it, South Carolina was a dog-eat-dog fight between your man, Kale Yarbrough, and the Silver Fox, David Pearson. So tune in to see which one got to represent the Palmetto State. Very nice. Well, that sounds good. And again, all of that can be found at news-journal, 
Online.com. Fellas, it really has been great talking to you. I feel like I am with the NASCAR version of Captain and Tennille. I'll let you guys choose who's who. Um, but seriously, it, it's been a great conversation. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking here in a couple of weeks just before the Daytona 500. So this time, Ryan, I will start with you. Thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for having us as always, man. And Ken, you get the last word. Thank you, sir. I was going to step all over him just to prove I could still step on him, even though you were doing this individually. But uh, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And that will do it for another episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. I'm Tim Walters. And to quote Helio Castroneves, who has been on three consecutive Rolex 24 winning teams and who's part of Dancing with the Stars on multiple occasions, dancing is just like racing. You don't learn choreography, they just give you steps to do, and you do them over and over and over. It's very much like what I do in racing, and much like what I do with podcasting, and much like what you do, which is joining me each week, which I know you'll do again next week. Thanks for listening. gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left listen to where secrets go to die the disappearance of Derek Hennigan from the Detroit Free Press a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula available on Apple Spotify Freep.com or wherever you get your podcasts